Welcome to It Is What It Is, the podcast with me, Danielle Bridge. On our show, we catch up with guests to talk about all sorts of things, including our job, mental health, relationships, and basically everything that we humans experience as we navigate through life. Today, we talk to Lauren Burke about pregnancy, birth and trauma. We also discuss how to plan for your birth and how education around pregnancy and birth can be helpful before that little bundle of awesomeness arrives. A guest today, Lauren Burke, who is a midwife and positive birth advocate running um, the Mama Collective. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Awesome. Welcome. Thank you very much for coming today. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So today I wanted to have you on because here we talk about everything that you're not supposed to talk about or that's slightly taboo. And I think that birth might still hold that space. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think so. I think some elements of it, definitely. Like the actual birth bit. Yeah, there's there's a lot of it's it's difficult because it, it can it can go so many ways and I think and people just don't it's just so common at the moment people just don't know what to expect when they're coming into in in labour and things. They you know, they're pregnant and that's all very lovely and they're like, Oh, you know, my baby's coming, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, which is great. But um, there is no focus on the on the labour and birth part, which ultimately is an experience that you're going to remember f- for the rest of your life. Mm. Um, and people just don't think about how that can impact their their life going forward. I think, um, and there's just uh, there's so much kind of um, there's so much that can happen mm. that can really impact how you feel about labour and birth going forward. And wanting um, to have another baby as well, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, that you know, mental health is still such a big thing in the postpartum period. Um, and, you know, that can be anxiety, depression or PTSD even. And that comes, that definitely comes from the experience that you have when you're, when you're in labour because things happen so quickly as well. Mm. Um, things change. Um, and... And because you have no idea what's going to happen, which, you know, there is a there is an element of unpredictability, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. It just is the way it goes. But there is so much that you can do beforehand to, to prepare. prepare. Yeah. yeah. And I think people don't really understand that. Or they think, well, it's okay because I've watched One Bun every minute. So. I, do you know what? <laughs> Seriously, I watch One Bun every minute. I was obsessed with that programme when I was pregnant with my first. And... I was squeamish but fascinated by the whole process mm. and couldn't believe that I was going to have to do this. I think a lot yeah. of it was quite fearful of what was going to happen because it exactly. looks, looks really painful, right? Exactly. <laughs> so what, not wanting to kind of think about that until the very end, I suppose, was a little bit more of a process on my mind. But take yeah. me back, though. Why? What drew you to wanting to do this? I'll, I'll give you the reason why. When I was little, I wanted to be a doctor. And I wanted to be a doctor, and I didn't care which doctor it was. I didn't, you know, have the understanding of the doctorate in anything. I just wanted to be a doctor <laughs> with a stethoscope and stuff. That was that was me. But my life never kind of turned out that that way. But why a midwife? What kind of drew you to this profession? To mid- midwifery? Yeah. To be honest with you, I think it was one of those... I always describe it as one of those things that I wanted to do. That You know you have all those dreams when you're little, like you mm. say, about being a doctor. It was like one of those things that would be a lovely, lovely job... But it felt really unreachable. Okay. Like it was just something that, oh, that would be great. But I don't think I can do it for whatever reason. And then I went through my own mental health struggles when I was early 20s, late teens, early 20s. And it was just, I'm one of those people who I, I kind of get a bee in my bonnet and I'll go for it. Mm. So um, 
as much as I thought about it being, oh, that would be a lovely thing to do, it was kind of, like I say, it was one of those unreachable things, so I never pursued it or thought about it as doing it, per se. Um, and so when I went through these mental health struggles, I knew I needed to find some kind of purpose, and um, because I was kind of just bumbling around, mm. like, with different jobs, but not really doing anything sp- uh, as like a specialism or anything like that I wasn't finding what it was that I wanted to do um properly so um I kind of just it was literally one of those things that I I think I saw something on telly and I don't even know what it was and it definitely wasn't one point every minute <laughs> I don't remember what it was and I <laughs> I sat up and I was like I want to do that I want to wow. be a midwife and then I just did I went for it and I just did it so it it wasn't something that kind of I that I worked towards yeah, for yeah. a long, long time. Um, it was something that felt like an unreachable dream, and I, then I went for it because I needed to find some kind of purpose, and that was that was what it was. It's interesting you talk about kind of coming towards that job, not following what I would classify as the traditional route, right? And I've got a big problem with people that have heard me speak before about the traditional route in in terms of education and going to university and then finding your dream job and it doesn't work out that way often so life comes in the way and then finding your purpose and finding out so actually that's what I wanted to do when I was younger there's nothing stopping me from doing that and what did that look like in terms of attainment so how did you get on that journey obviously I did go to university because you have to get a degree for it so um I um I'd already done a levels and I had a different dream at the time. Um, and I'd done, and then I'd gone back because I was going to go to university, like you say, doing the traditional route of things. And then I completely changed my mind. And mm. I didn't know why I changed my mind. It was obviously because I'm kind of thinking yeah, higher, me, higher, higher vibrations. Knowing that that wasn't right for me at the time. So I then changed my mind and I went back to college and did um, something else. Again, totally unrelated to anything that I've then pursued later on. Um, I just I was still trying to find what it was that I needed to do or wanted to do and then um so by the time it got to the point when I sat up and decided I wanted to be a midwife I had all the qualifications Excellent. I didn't need to do anything extra um I just had to apply so I applied to university I got in on my first year trying which I was really thankful for because a lot of people have to try for quite a few years but that's me because I am adamant that that's what I'm going to go and do now I used all my choices on my UCAS application I didn't just pick one university that I was like I want to go to that one Mm. and that's I think that's why people strike out you know for various years until they um until they do get in because they they select their one university and like it's because normally life has already happened for them they might have children and things and they're settled in one place they don't want to travel and Mm move for uni but I was luckily in a position that I could do that at the time so I did um and yeah I went and trained in Chelmsford um and at Colchester Hospital so I was um yes I was a student there wow I remember working when I was younger because I was pretty much like you in terms of I didn't have a a direct route into to running a business it wasn't it didn't work out like that like that I did everything and I used to on my CV, I kind of never stayed anywhere for longer than 18 months. And I remember people asking me, like, why, you know, in interviews, so why is it that you you don't spend very long time? And I used to say, I believe I'm a troubleshooter, you know? I'd come <laughs> in, I'd see a problem, and I would implement change or functionality, and then I'd leave. You know, my job here is done. I don't need to do it anymore. <laughs> um, so, and it kind of played into my personality, and I never... But one of my jobs, I'll never forget it, was... A porter. I remember the agency ringing me up and saying to me, Danielle, there's this job at Great Ormond Street Hospital. And my ears pricked up and I was like, ooh. And she said, but 
don't worry if you want to say no, nobody ever takes this job. And I was like, oh my God, I'll take it. I will take it. And I remember going in there and I was a porter. I spent two weeks at Great Ormond Street Hospital as a porter taking young kids and their families down to the operating theatre and bringing them back again. And I tell you what, other than wearing a pair of scrubs, because I used to wear scrubs and I had my NHS card, that was the best thing, the best job, one of the best jobs I ever had because I was at the cold front of, of hospital life. I was seeing parents with their children and sometimes really poorly kids and really scared and, you know, worried parents. And at the time I wasn't a parent and just remember believing that I was doing something really important. And that was as a porter, right? Mm -hmm. So I can imagine how as a midwife you are there at one of the most important times of somebody's life Mm. and that being an absolute honour and a privilege. Absolutely. And most midwives will describe their job as just that, you know, we have our hard times. Of course we do. It's, there are ups and downs to mm. every every job, um, but we ultimately feel really privileged to be a part of that experience because that, like I say, that experience is one that that parent or those parents are going to remember. So they're going to remember you mm. um, and the care that you gave them. So we feel really privileged to be a part of that generally. Um, it's fascinating. So you, kind of in your job, you, you're a midwife, you're an acting midwife, you know, you, you do that job every day. And then the other part of your passion is educating parents so tell me a little bit more about what the mama collective does so we um provide antenatal education to um expecting parents to give them that information before they go into labor um you know what to expect what turns labor can take how to make those informed choices what choices do they even have Mm. um and and then i do cover a little bit about about um caring for baby afterwards for generally more for first-time parents that kind of haven't done this before. Um, It just gives them a bit of insight into that kind of stuff. But yeah, so we focus on the education side of things. Um, I teach them about what their body's doing, um, which takes away hopefully the fear element of what happens then when when they do go into labour, not thinking, oh my God, what's this happening to my body? Mm. Where they haven't, you know, they haven't even thought about what the sensation might feel like. Um, and that should hopefully take away that fear element of that. Um, and then we talk about, um, ultimately, all the different choices that they possibly have, what things entail, so what different procedures entail that they might come across, and um, and how to make informed decisions, what questions to ask um, to get the most out of that information. Um, because ultimately, you can't make an informed decision without the information. Absolutely, yes. So I remember when Sebastian, my oldest, was born, was well, we were planning... Well, I was pregnant with him and I remember saying I'm going to have a home birth and friends and family were saying Danielle it's your first child you know how are you going to have a home birth and I'm I'd like to think of myself a quite a holistic spiritual grounded person and I kind of had this impression also doing the job I do so running a first aid training company I'm always talking about like emergencies at hospital and I always focused on having a baby as being non-emergency actually you know it's a it's a process that I've got to go through but I want to do it in the comfort of my own home so I planned for a home birth. And when I say I planned for a home birth, I, that's what I wanted. We ended up having an emergency caesarean in hospital. <laughs> but, because that's what ha- had to happen. But we did plan for a home birth. And I remember being in labour fully, the midwife coming to the house and me being eight centimetres dilated by the time she got there, feeling really chuffed with myself. Mm. And then labour stalled. And we ended up, I had, I had a, uh, where the placenta came away from the, yeah that's it and so it's a massive emergency and for my husband it was really really distressing 
Yeah, and I'll say for my husband because I was off my face on gas and air and can't quite remember that time. Yeah, no. But for him, it was really, really, really stressful. Oh my God, yeah. And we don't talk about this enough. Obviously, we know that there is... Um, mental health in in you know the women that are pregnant um, either during pregnancy and or afterwards for mm. you know after they're pregnant um, postpartum but we don't talk about the the implications for for dads yeah um, which is massive and and going back you know I had an emergency cesarean as well um, for different reasons but um, obviously I am really privileged that I have that knowledge I didn't. I did do some antenatal education just because, you know, yeah. you just do. Yes. You know, yeah. I teach it and I know it because I'm a midwife, but I still went and did it yes. anyway. Um, because I was coming at it from a, from a, a different Mom. perspective. Mm. So, um, but my husband was away, so he couldn't do it with me. And he, you know, we went through labour, etc. Uh, ended up, you know, having an emergency cesarean, which was ultimately my choice. I, you know, I felt very... Um, empowered empowered and collective mm. in the decision making but that's because I took that role on when I walked into the room um, and but afterwards I checked in with him and made sure that he was okay did he understand why we did this because he doesn't have that knowledge yeah. and um, and you know I had to make sure that he wasn't traumatised by that we have so many scenarios that could possibly happen um, for various reasons and dad's do they sit and they have to watch that mm. and they have to watch their you know their partner or their and or their baby going through something um and they are they feel completely helpless because well they are aren't they mm. they can't think there's not a lot they can do but sit there and watch yeah or you know try and support etc but when there's lots of people in the room doing different various jobs they just feel like um a bystander in mm. the corner like what am i doing what, what's going on um and we do forget unfortunately sometimes to communicate at the time if we're fortunate enough we might have somebody that is there communicating with them at the same time as we're doing things so they can let them know what's going on but not always do we have that luxury so we you know ultimately our job is to get everything stable and then we kind of can debrief but they there is they do sometimes get forgotten we try our best obviously not to but there you know there are sometimes that they do and and they do and they have to watch it and uh, the, 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 we are we are seeing um you know more about um ptsd in, in dads um, from different events that have happened um and it is becoming more common knowledge but it's just it's not quite at the forefront yet and in terms of the mental health space we're not there yet <laughs> we've got a lot we've got a lot of work to do and i suppose it's about kind of like you said educating people about roles and expectations and building in expectations and actually I know you were talking a second ago about your job and sometimes people getting forget forgotten about have you ever been in a room with a doula uh, I think I have during that that process once but I think it was quite an informal doula I think it was someone who was more of a family friend but she was also a doula herself so she was kind of acting as a bit of a doula but it, but not in a formal way if okay. that makes sense but um yeah once i think mm. yeah because i, I I'm, I'm speaking to a, a doula on the show uh and i'm going to be speaking to them about their role within that because mm. i do believe that there is a position for somebody yeah who is that kind of bridge between you guys the professionals doing what you need mm. to do for the safety of mum and baby yeah. But that person who's there just explaining what's going on, who's got the time, no pressure, yes. um, to be able to, to kind of have that piece, that, you know, like bridge that gap between the two. 
And I think it'll be quite interesting to hear what they have to say about that kind of role, really. Yeah. And I do think that's, you know, it is something that is is really important to have, if you can. Um, we, as midwives, bridge the gap between the doctors and, yeah. and the lady because we are, we're the experts in normal, so we are the advocate for the women and their choices, etc. But when you get midwife, so at the moment, um, in a lot of units, midwives are generally core in a specific area so if you've got the late you've got the midwives that are core in delivery suite and um, where where you know things happen that's that's kind of our that's our consultant led unit that's where if if emergencies happen that's generally where it happens um and the midwives that are so used to that become like the doctors where where they're where it's heavily medicalized and that's what they're looking for they're looking for things that are not normal which mm. is not essentially the role of the midwife um, but that's how they become because that's where they work. Um, so when you've got that happening, you then don't kind of get that holistic um, approach as much as you would from a midwife that doesn't work on core labour ward, mm. um, who may be a community midwife that attends home births and things. They at all work on our midwifery led units. They tend to have a bit more of a holistic approach because they're not seeing all the medicalized stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a there is a model within midwifery at the moment that is coming through um, called continuity continuity of carer, and that is supposed. To, I'm hoping this is what's going to combat this because ultimately the plan is for the for women to have the same midwife as much as possible through pregnancy, birth, and postnatal because we know that it leads to better outcomes Absolutely. for women. And it's important that you you build trust mm. with somebody. Yeah, you do. Um, and nothing in the history gets. I mean, more often than not, it doesn't. Nothing gets missed. But you you know for a fact that you'll know that woman. You'll know her history. You'll have seen her before. Um, and you know what her level of education is and what she has prepared for, etc. During pregnancy, um, rather than you know when I was core labour ward having women coming to me, and they actually haven't done any preparation it's really really hard to then try and give them that the key education that they need probably to get through that next bit what they're going to be now going through um and I found that really really difficult because I wanted women to feel empowered uh, over there and and in control as much as possible over their experience um which is really hard to do when they're already in labor or about to start going into labor um it's it you're very limited yeah with what you can tell them (laughs) or what they can what information they can retain as well at that point because you know we can't retain a huge amount of information at one time anyway when you then have a a bit of stress on the body you're not going to retain as much as as you would without that so it's it you know it does become harder um but just do the best you can do absolutely and it's it's interesting because i suppose throughout the whole process being brave enough to make your own decisions based upon your own wants and the reason I'm talking about this is because I I believe in today's modern era with social media and talking about you know I'm going to do x y and z and this is what I'm having and then people coming and giving you their opinion about what you should do and what you shouldn't do and actually well when that happened to me and I and I'm always forever teaching about frame of reference you know it's your journey nobody can interrupt your journey it's yours and people will often give advice or give information based upon their journey which is not yours and that can be quite dangerous especially in this in this field I could imagine absolutely and I think I think it's important to surround yourself with positive stories and positive videos etc of 
of things rather than going through via mainstream media and watching soaps and one born every minute where things are unfortunately dramatized and not a true depiction of mm. what birth can be like sometimes um and so i do think it's important but i do think it's also important to remember that every single pregnancy and every single birth is different even if you are the same person having two separate babies uh, yes yes that even that yeah. is dif- even yeah. those are different so there is no comparison really you can't draw a comparison from someone else's birth or even your previous birth to what you're now going to go through because it's it, everything's totally, totally different. different yeah yeah and, and it relies on so much as well it's not just you as a person it also relies on your body your anatomy baby as mm. well baby has a role to play um and i think people forget that it's like a trio i say it's like a trio between you your body and your baby and they all have to work simultaneously to achieve whatever outcome they're going to achieve That's it. um yeah. It's not just down to you as a person. No, but it's interesting actually. The baby's got a lot to do with it. Yeah. So I look at mm-hmm. Sebastian, my oldest, and go, mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there I was wanting a home birth. And I remember my mm-hmm. midwife. She was a rape. We're, we're massive ravers. Everybody listening to this will know me, and my husband, and the children. Big music fans. And so at my home birth with Sebastian, we had like my husband playing some tunes. Mm-hmm. I was there. I mean, it's not a pretty sight, guys. If you're kind of trying to visualize this just don't and there I am heavily <laughs> pregnant you know just swaying listening to this house music and my husband's playing and I remember the midwife I'll never forget her I can't remember her name but she was in the room with us and she was just dancing with me you know she's going go on girl and we were just having this little bit of a rave when I'm cl- eyes closed really deep in labor it, just enjoying the whole process yeah. and I'll never forget it it was amazing and unfortunately it did end up with a with a with an emergency c-section I say unfortunately because it wasn't what I wanted but he was safe I was safe and we we got the outcome we wanted whereas with my daughter Hermione completely different birth we were in the hospital it was a vaginal birth it was amazing it was calm it was everything that I would have imagined it should be mm. and it was just such a, a beautiful experience even though it wasn't at home but what I got was like you said totally different from the first mm. one totally yeah, but, different but both positive in their but own both way positive in their own way yeah really fascinating fascinating stuff You're listening to It Is What It Is, the podcast. We hope you're enjoying this episode as we strive to bring you interesting conversations about the things that really matter. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe. But for now, let's get back to that conversation. So I think you hit the nail on the head and you were talking a minute ago about like PTSD, which for those of you who do not know is post-traumatic stress disorder, um, which can happen after an event or after any trauma um, to men and women. Um... So the link between trauma and birth, heavy. Yeah. Yeah. Very. Very, very heavy. So uh, the reason I'll, I'll, I'll talk about this, and there's, there's no names, but there is a, an, an acquaintance of mine from years and years ago. We don't speak much anymore. I don't know what she's doing now. But remember, she had a child, and she went on to have another two, by the way. So <laughs> she had her first one, and our boys were the same age. And she was completely traumatised by her birth, completely traumatised. She ended up having a Vontus really 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 difficult traumatized spoke to the consultant an awful lot of other stuff that happened afterwards and I remember her saying to me Danielle totally and utterly traumatized me like I can't get over what I've had to go through to to bring my child into into the world luckily she bonded with her baby Mm. because some people yeah go on to not bond with their child as a result of that absolutely yeah and so talk to me a little bit more about what you know about trauma and and so this is you know one of the biggest things that influenced my decision to go into business um 
teaching because mm. it is on the rise. It is something we're seeing more of and it is becoming more spoken about yes. in obstetrics. Um, you know, I think the general public have been speaking about it for a little while, but actually it's becoming more taught, uh, more um, brought to the brought to the forefront by uh, within obstetrics. We I actually even attended an entire study day about it a couple of years ago. Um, so we have approximately thirty thousand women or you know parents within the UK every year that are affected by birth trauma. It is it's it's massive, um, and it and it's subjective. So mental health in general mm-hmm. is subjective it can yeah. it can affect people in different ways and it can be triggered by any number of things um birth trauma um it's it's amazing really because a, but even a birth i've even had people who have had births that have gone completely textbook completely textbook completely straightforward and what looked to me like that was really lovely mm. that was beautiful and they've described it as oh that was traumatic yeah. and i don't know if they would have then gone on to actually be fully traumatized by it but the fact that they're describing it as traumatic is worrying i think because that was completely physiological what just happened um and then ultimately you have the other end of it where things haven't gone quite to plan um maybe things were a rush or even if they weren't a rush but they haven't gone to plan and instruments were used or it was a cesarean um and people aren't aware of what's going to happen there's loads of people in the room and that doesn't always say that that's an emergency, but it's just because everyone has a different role to play. Mm-hmm. Um, not everyone in there is a is a doctor, but they all have different. We all have different roles, and that's how we get things done efficiently. Um, but people don't know that, um, and so they get absolutely panicked when they see ten people or whatever it might be running into the room. But actually, you've got within those ten people, you've got an anaesthetist, their assistant, a doctor, their assistant, a midwife. No, not a porter, sorry. It might be a student midwife. It might be um, one of our healthcare assistants. But everyone has a different role to play. But it just looks terrifying, mm. which is understandable. And so, yeah, like I say, there are different levels of the trauma, but um, and and they come from different places. But it's it's huge. Mm. Um, and it, I think although it is being spoken about more, it needs to be spoken about even more mm. um, because whilst. I've already touched on this, but whilst you are going to remember that experience for the rest of your life and that's going to impact you going forward, the people that cared for you, it's, it, it isn't meant to sound horrible in any way, but they aren't going to remember that mm. next week, the week after, yep. in a year. Yep. So whilst they have an important role to play, and I'm not saying that they don't do everything right, of course they do, they do everything for safety, but nobody is speaking to the, um, I want to say patient, but it's not patient, and we, call, we just call nobody's speaking to the women nobody's speaking to the families because they're just in their zone, zone yeah. doing what they need to do to not to um stabilize that person mm. or stabilize that baby or stabilize both of them um and not really thinking about that impact of what that has just had on that on that so this is so fascinating seriously lauren because this is where we talk quite a lot in the mental health space around the physical aspect and the mental aspect. We are one in terms of holistic approach to that. Everybody in the room, like you said, those 10 people are there for the medical reason, but there's nobody there for the mental health aspect. And maybe that's where that doula comes into play. That's the difficult part because the midwife is expected to be that person. But now midwives are more medically trained to do different things because we are seeing 
more complex pregnancies so midwives are more medically trained as well now um that we always have a have a have a medical aspect to play as well a medical role to play sorry but we're also expected to be that person to be talking to the The well-being in this we've only got two hands as everyone else it's very very difficult um and we you know obviously we we do our best but it's really hard and always always the mental side of things so the you know the debriefing comes afterwards yes which is, you know, we still do it. Um, and I would say that some people do it better than others. I think there needs to be a common... Um, a I, think, I, think that, I think there needs to be a routine of, of how we do it because mm. I, everyone does it a bit differently. But sometimes I'll see people debriefing and I'm like, ooh, that doesn't sound very debriefy. Yeah. That doesn't sound very kind, the way you've just worded that. But I'll always, if I, if I can and if I remember, if I have to pull an emergency bell for one reason or another, I will always pull first then say to the woman, a lot of people are going to come in. But I always try and say it really calmly. I don't want to sound panicked because yeah. I don't want to panic them. Um, and if I, if I need them to do something because something's not quite right, I'll always say it in a calm way because I think, you know, it, it's really important for them. I don't want to put any more stress on them and their bodies because whatever is happening can only be worsened by that anyway. Yeah. Um, but like I say, the impact afterwards, because that might be resolved really, really quickly. Um, and then actually, it's nothing to worry about. Well, we'll have it in the back of our minds, but it's nothing to worry about for, for going forward. But for them, then afterwards, that that one thing, even if it doesn't, even if it doesn't impact the outcome of their birth, they might still have, um, a, you know, birth they want, etc. But that one thing could be what gives them PTSD, or mm. what um, even just gives them postpartum anxiety or depression. They might they, they might focus on that, and we don't know what's going to affect that that person absolutely um you know mentally going forward so it's i think it is really <clears throat> really really important um that we talk that we talk about this more and that it, it becomes more of a conversation and um and something that we try to implement practices to combat because i think it is being overlooked a little bit you know in view of the safety of mums and babies which are totally totally understand and of course everybody wants a well mum and a well baby physically yeah but mental mental health is also health (laughs) (laughs) you can't have one without the other right exactly which is what we're constantly pushing you know those two things come hand in hand and again I suppose that's where that level of oh yeah but it's okay but your baby's safe you know everything's okay and it's uh, you get that right and it's interesting you were talking earlier on and you hit the nail on the head where you were saying you know, for some people, that pregnant, that birth for you, medically, physiologically, was perfect. But for that woman, for that family, it was traumatizing. Trauma is individual. We can't yeah. put a marker on it no. or say actually somebody's is greater than the others because there was obvious problems with that mm-hmm. versus this perfect pregnancy. How can she be traumatized, right? Yeah. And I talk about that when I talk about depression. You know, how can they be depressed? I mean, look at them. They were great. They were out last Friday. It's like, what does depression look like? Yeah. It doesn't have a face, right? It's all, you know, it's from that, from it, mm. that internal feeling and emotion. So I'm really glad that you talked about that. I think it's really important that we break down that stigma mm. around what trauma needs to look like for it to be yeah. deemed as traumatising for an individual. Absolutely. But I do think, and this is why I teach what I teach, because I do think that education is key to, to hopefully minimising that and also you know, hopefully um, catching those women where it does all go perfectly textbook and normal and straightforward. And there might be nothing I can do to affect them being traumatised by that. But if I can educate them about what's normal and what to expect, mm. and that does 
affect how they then perceive their birth to be fabulous yeah and that's and i think that we need to catch them antenatally and not postpartum when they've already been through the experience and trying to then debrief them um because you know we most units offer a debriefing service like birth afterthoughts but they've had they've just had a baby yeah they've got a newborn to think about they are they're and and so and everyone does it and this you know this is a big thing as well but their mental health is the last thing on their mind Mm. they're not thinking about oh but i need to think about that um, and I need to go and do that because that's really important for me because they're thinking about, but my baby needs feeding, my baby yeah. needs this, that, and yeah. the other. Yeah. They're not thinking about that postpartum, um, but it is still eating away. And they, you know, it, and that's no nobody's fault. It is just how it is just how we are as people, you know, as mums, we put our babies first. We yes. just all do yeah. um, most of the time. So it's just, um, they're not thinking about it postpartum. So they're not going to, most people aren't going to access a debrief service. Um so we need to be catching as many people as we can antenatally. Yeah, that's standardisation, right? Absolutely. And actually, while we continue as we wrap it up, but I kind of want to talk to you a little bit about the actual details. <laughs> Stigma in the birthing process. So my daughter is 11. She's, well, she is 11, yet. Yeah. She's 12 or later on this year. And recently, I think it was last month, we watched birthing um, videos together. Okay. And my friends were like, what? You let her watch birthing videos? Like, why would you do that? And not a, few, not a lot of them. It's a couple of those really weird kind of like... And I was like, but why wouldn't I? Because I think it's a birth. It's one of the most natural things ever, right? Yeah, and yeah. my children, we have conversations about sex and relationships and all sorts of things that we're supposed to talk about at this age. Or some people talk about it a little bit later. But each family, each their own. But we are quite open in our family, because I think it's important that we normalise all of these very normal processes, right? So yeah. with her, she wanted to... She's like, so what was it like, Mum? And I said, well, you know, and I told her what it was like having her and her brother. And she's like, oh, is it painful? I said, yeah, it is painful. It, it is painful. Some people take take medication to stop them from feeling the pain or minimising the pain. or Anyway, I kind of went through my process. And she said, what does it look like? And I said, oh, do you want to see? We went online and I had a look at some some videos. And actually, there was one on there from the World Health Organisation, which was wonderful because it talked about different birth styles in different countries and different cultures, which oh, okay. I found quite fascinating. Because mm. again, Western society, very, very different from the rest of the world yeah, in terms of birthing. Um, and so we saw some births in very strange positions because normally in hospitals you're on your back, you're on your back, exactly. So there were, you know, some women were squatting, some were, you know, standing up. It was all sorts of different births, and she was just fascinated by it because we watch quite a lot of na- nature programs, and you'll often see animals mm. giving birth on the savannah and they'll pop a baby yeah. out or in the farm and they'll unassisted know, yeah anyway. unassisted <laughs> yes and my daughter we've been and watched lambs being born you know and so they've seen these process but they've never seen a human birth and i i kind of made that decision at that why moment. is it okay to see animals give birth but not, not a human exactly right so i was like no let's go watch it and we watched it and she was fascinated by it she's like wow but she didn't get up and go oh my god that's it i've got she just went ma well she told her dad she goes dad we watch babies being born today and my husband's like oh okay cool <laughs> that was that was cool and she just got on with the rest of her life but she's now at 11 seeing women a woman give birth i've got friends i've got a friend of mine actually a big shout out to steph she's got seven children and wow. all of hers have been born at home with her family wow. around amazing and she's just absolute inspiration to me she's just a phenomenal mum um businesswoman all sorts and she's given birth with her family around her in her home for each of those births and is a real advocate for doing it if you can you know 
Um, so for her children, that's a normal process of seeing babies being born. Yeah. But do you think there needs to be kind of more education around around that I've, at this age? Or um, I don't know. I think, like you say, it's each family to their own to decide what what they think is appropriate for Absolutely. children to see. But I do agree with. Why is it okay for us to go to a zoo and see animals have babies without batting an eyelid mm. or a farm or whatever it might be, um, especially at this time of year? Yeah, lots of babies. Yeah, um, but not. But why is it so stigmatizing to see a woman give birth, especially in like a, a raw aspect, like uh, uncensored? Um, obviously, we you know you see it on TV programs or you see it on soaps, but you never see it in its full glory. Um, and I think that's that's again. I think that's there's a big stigma around it, and I think it's about um, the sexualization of of female bodies, unfortunately. And it's the same with things like breastfeeding, um, yeah. and why there's still a big stigma around that, even though that's trying. You know, the breastfeeding community are trying so hard to normalise that. Um, yes. But I do think it's important for our children to see it from a young age, if we're ever going to if we're ever going to normalize all these things mm. because if we how can how can you expect change if you don't be implement the change? absolutely or implement change yeah. yeah um yeah no i totally agree mm, weird one isn't it it's a bit it strange is. yeah because we did have a really interesting conversation with a few and actually when we started talking about it, they're like actually why don't we it's like, i don't know it's like yeah. you know i mean they have sex education at, in, in schools i don't know what that looks like now when i was at school it's certainly I think it was very different to what it is now. I remember girls and boys were separated to yeah. do it. Yeah. Um, I don't. Did we watch a birth? I don't even know if we watched a birth video or we watched some kind of a video, but I don't know if it was a birth one. I I was my mum's birthing partner when I was sixteen. So, and I already knew how you gave birth, yeah. but I was my mum's birthing partner, and that was you know that was one of them things. And then I I didn't get to see. She's she, I'm, a, I'm the oldest of six, and that was the third baby. But I didn't get to see the others because I then had to babysit <laughs> for them as as they were all as they all were uh, born. But um, and that was that was an experience that was amazing. Um, yeah. And that was you know that was interesting to see as like a as like the birthing process. But I remember being very. Um, as, as most people are frustrated by like the timescales of things thinking yeah. oh, well, why is it taking so taking long so long and yeah. uh, now i t- you know obviously now i laugh about that because i'm like <laughs> oh, you know it doesn't it doesn't just happen no, um, no. and and the, and how and the order of which things can go and whatever else again that's something i educate on and pe- and it's amazing actually what people don't know and how much knowledge they they get from things they watch on tv yes oh uh, don't get me started about what we learn from tv i know and it and it, it it really gets my goat how how uninformed some of these programs really are. Mm. Um, yeah, I was my I was my <laughs> friend's oh, my best friend, um, Heva. Hello, darling. I was her birthing partner sixteen years ago. So yeah, Peds is sixteen now, and I was with her from the very beginning. Kind of went in and got us some. I think it's pineapple juice. I was trying to give her <laughs> pineapple juice at the time in cartons um, and say, staying on a ward because she wasn't fully in labour, although she did feel as if she totally was. And even then, seeing her go through this process in hospital and I remember her epidural kind of fell out of her back and she was in a lot of pain and then they kept saying, well, you've got your epidural in and then actually a, a no. midwife turned <laughs> and said, oh, whoopsie, you know, and like it fallen, it fallen off her out of something had fallen out of her back or something like that and she wasn't receiving any pain or, or pain relief or something because she was screaming her head off and I remember thinking at the time wow this doesn't look very um very good it doesn't look very 
nice. Do you know what I mean? She was in an yeah. awful lot of pain. But then seeing other people who are silent, don't say a word. It's such mm. an interesting individual process. Mm. Um, even myself, not not screaming. I remember hearing quite a lot of people screaming and me going, I'm going to scream. Or I'm going to do that other thing that other people do as well, which I didn't want to do. That's the poo. I didn't want to <laughs> do that. And I remember being fascinated by this. I'm not going to, I don't want to do that. I don't want to. I remember saying to the midwife, have I, have I? And she kept going, no, no, it's fine. It's okay. It's okay. And I was like, oh my God, really embarrassed. That was kind of the only thing I took away from it oh, really is not no. wanting to I, do I, that. When I, <laughs> I teach, I tell everyone, please, please let that be the last thing on your mind. <laughs> because we like poo. <laughs> It means things are going wrong. Oh, look at that. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> and back in the day, they'd make you, they'd give you enemas and oh, stuff, wouldn't they? To try yeah. and get rid of everything, make it as clean as possible. We don't do that anymore. Yes. Times have changed. Yeah. Times have changed. <laughs> oh, seriously, Lauren, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming. Thank and you for having me. For, for, yeah, giving people an understanding of what this natural process looks like or can look like. And I think in terms of takeaways, what people can take away from this is the education piece and doing the work prior to that really momentous Absolutely. occasion? Absolutely, I, you know, I liken it a bit to your wedding. You wouldn't leave your wedding up to chance, and it is also one of the most important days of your life, as is having your baby. And you wouldn't leave that up to. You wouldn't just kind of turn up on the day. Yeah. yeah. Would you? Yeah. But you know, there is a cost element to it, and I totally understand that. And people just think, "Well, my body's going to do it. It is. It is. It is." Which is, you know. It might, mm. it might, but equally, you if you don't know what your body is going to do, that unfortunately might end up being a traumatic experience, or things might take a different turn, and you haven't, and you you don't have that knowledge about about what, how to make those choices or how to be collective in the decision making. And unfortunately, again, another big bugbear of mine is that we get you know we have some doctors that use language that make it sound like you don't have a choice, um, but you do. Mm. and it, you know it might be the same choice that they're suggesting but if you're informed at least absolutely you you know that that choice was also yours to make rather than it being a case of this is what we need to do oh okay then but you don't really know what that fully involves or yeah. or how that might impact you afterwards um and i think that's again another really important thing the choice element of it is um People need to know that they have these choices and what the choices are and how to make them in a quick manner because sometimes it has to be quickly. Um, but being informed beforehand can help you make those decisions quickly. Absolutely. When, Absolutely. when the time comes. If you know. And actually, in terms of this podcast, you know, we talk about enabling empowerment, right? It is about making sure that people are empowered to make the choices, make the decision with the knowledge it is that they have. And Lauren can definitely help parents out there make those decisions effectively so thank you so much it's been a pleasure having you thank you um and yeah i don't think i've ever talked about poo on my podcast before but it's, <laughs> it's always a first <laughs> but thank you so much and if you need to get hold of uh, lauren where can we find you where can people go find um, you so i'm on instagram at the mama collective or on facebook at the same um or my website which is the mama collective.co.uk um any or all of those channels awesome go along to the me. go along to the insta and the socials because she gives out some really awesome snippets of information and some really real cool nuggets of, of knowledge that you guys need out there otherwise thank you very much it's been a wonderful uh session today and take it easy thanks very much you've been listening to the it is what it is podcast presented by daniel bridge and produced by Defresh productions 